Jesus is describing what does the kingdom look like? How does it grow and how quickly does that happen? So if you want to stand up, we'll read the passage. We'll get into this. This is Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Jesus was saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or whether he gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head or the little sprout, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Let's pray. Holy God, uh, we are thankful to be uh, together with you tonight. We pray that uh, you would do what we need you to do, which is to refresh us, to make us sane again, to clear the jumbles out of our heads and our hearts. We pray that you would encourage us and increase our patience and our faith as we wait upon you to do what you have literally committed your very life to do, which is to bring your kingdom in all of its fullness in us and around us. We pray for understanding, for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to perceive. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. Thanks. So I don't know if you, uh, if you went to Fall Conference a couple of weeks ago. On your drive back to Crucis, I don't know if you saw this, but just south of uh, Las Lunas, uh, just south of Las Lunas, y'all didn't see it, it was dark, just south of Las Lunas, on the right side of the interstate, there had been a mudslide for about a mile. And if you saw all the cones up there, what, those cones were there because some of y'all got caught in that rainstorm on your way up to uh, the conference, and it was just such a torrential downpour that it washed everything on the west side of the interstate over the interstate. And so what had happened on the weekend when we were up in the mountains is they come through with bulldozers, they pushed all the dirt onto the side of the road. But it got my attention. I looked over... And um, what had happened is that the water was so much water in such a short amount of time, it had eroded through a pecan orchard. Didn't you see this? These are like mature pecan trees, like the big ones, not the tiny little one, the new ones. And the water had literally dug out underneath the root balls of these enormous trees, and they had all just, they were just laying on their side. Perfect little pecan trees, all their leaves were still there, they looked fine, but they were all uprooted and laying over on their side because the water had washed up and eroded up underneath uh, the root ball, and tree after tree was laying on its side. The problem with heavy rains in New Mexico is that the ground can't absorb the water, right? That's why we have flash floods. That's why every time it drizzles, our phones beep with flash flood warnings, because the dirt just can't absorb that much water in that little amount of time. So the water just flows right on top of the dirt, right? And it becomes destructive, And very little of the water that comes in those torrential downpours actually penetrates the ground and nourishes the trees or feeds the shrubs. It just rolls right over the top into an arroyo somewhere. You would think that in a climate, in a dry climate like this, what we would need the most is just these huge, massive downpours, right? That's what we need. We always need water. But oddly... The only way water actually seeps down into the ground, penetrates to the level of the root, gives life to all the the trees, all the desert, is wherein there is this slow and steady rain over a long period of time. So ironically, not a torrential downpour, but a slow 
and steady rain over a long period of time is what brings life to the desert. Did you know that it's the same way with our souls? And the power of the kingdom of God, the transforming grace of God, you would think that a torrential downpour, that mountaintop experience, that burst of growth, that instantaneous magical moment that we all are after, you would think that in a spiritually dry climate, which is life, a climate hostile to thriving, which is life, you would think that what we would need most is that event, that downpour that just bathes us and washes us in God's grace and the power of his kingdom. But you'd be surprised, just like with the rain in New Mexico, that actually the only thing that really penetrates down to the depth of our hearts and gets there and nourishes us and feeds us is a slow and steady rain over a long period of time, over a lifetime. It's the same way. Y'all are like me, I know this, because we talk about it all the time. You're all, you're all after the downpour, and I am too. Some of you went to Fall Conference because you wanted a downpour. You're dry and you feel it. You're brittle and you feel it. You're hard-hearted and you feel it. You wanted the downpour. We choose churches or ministries for the downpour, the torrential rain. We live our life on the run looking for this. We all want the growth spurt, right? We all want Ben Coppage now to magically catapult to the Ben that doesn't have the temptations that I deal with, the struggles that I still deal with. You want to escape you with the body image stuff you got going on, walking into a room, being petrified of what people think of the way you look. You want out of that, right? You want that moment. If you're a Christian, you want Jesus to get you out of that. You want the small group. You want the verse. You want the podcast that gets you out of that. You want the torrential downpour. You want the instantaneous growth. In a fall like we've experienced... With every single week before we come up here, we were supposed to pray about other stuff, but we've been praying about natural disasters and shootings all fall. Mexico City, Puerto Rico, Houston, Las Vegas, California. And you add on to that all of the the stuff going down in your house, under your roof, with your mom and dad, your family. And you add on to that also all the stuff going on in your emotions, in your mind, thoughts that get into your brain that you never asked for and you can't get out. Emotions that don't play ball with your desires and don't take your orders very seriously. You add all the chaos to that. You add the sense of why am I not further along? Why am I still here and not there? Is everybody else figured out the secret to success in growing and maturing as a Christian except for me? Or if you're not a Christian, has everybody else figured out how to have your eyes open and know God and see him and be alive to him and him alive to you? This is what we all want. If you want this downpour badly, if it at a conscious level or a subconscious level it's what you've built your life around getting, that makes you normal. It makes you just like everybody else. It especially makes you just like Jesus' disciples that he's talking to in Mark 4. Life hasn't changed very much from then to now, and the world hasn't changed from then to now. We just know more stuff now about what happens in faraway places. But the same stuff happened to them, and they wanted it. They longed for it. They hungered for it. Their same spiritually dry climate, same place where you're just begging for a downpour. 
So when Jesus comes and starts talking about this kingdom that we've been talking about, people say, I like that. I want that. I want everything to be made new. I want reconciliation. I want to stop doing the things I shouldn't be doing. I want to start following him. I want to be alive. They wanted it. They wanted it now, immediately, manifestly, all of it right now, just the way you and I do. And so Jesus takes three shots in Mark chapter 4 and scattered throughout the rest of the Gospels too of correcting our expectation of how and in what quantities and in what speed the kingdom of God comes in our lives and around us in the world. He's correcting our understanding of the pace that the kingdom grows and the nature of the kingdom. And it's really personal, as you've probably already realized as I've been talking. So Jesus says this, friends, the power of my kingdom, the transforming power of my kingdom, the grace of my kingdom is not going to come on you and change you in a torrential downpour. It's going to come to you in a slow and steady rain. Because that's the only way it's going to get in you. And what this means is a complete paradigm shift for us, right? Because it means my mind is fixated on the event. I open my Bible and there's an event. God pops out and appears to me. I come to RUF and it's an event. I go home transformed, never to be the same again. I have a conversation with a friend or I I do the things that Jesus calls me to do. They're good things. They're life-giving things. I confess sin to somebody or I I ask forgiveness or I reconcile with a friend or I, I push back against temptation and you expect like the stars to come out and they don't. And the slow and steady rain is really hard for us because when the downpour comes, I can see the water and it's powerful and it moves everything around and it cuts into the surface, the hard surface of the ground and the slow and steady rain. I can't see it doing anything, especially when it comes to what Jesus calls here a seed. He's talking about this, the kingdom of God as a seed. You add on top of the metaphor of the water the fact that the roots of the seed where the, where the action is happening is subterranean. It's hidden. It's out of sight, which means it's even harder to see and to detect. And so Jesus is lifting the chins of all of his people and he's saying, I know you want the downpour. The downpour would hurt you. This grace, this transformation, this change in your life and in the world around you through the church, it's going to happen slowly. And he said, it's going to bear fruit. Don't think that slow means ineffective or slow means like it's not going to happen. It's going to happen, he says. The seed has been planted. It is growing and it will bear fruit. It will be harvested. But we ask the question, and you have to ask the question when you read stuff like this, but why does God linger? Why so slow, right? Why are we not more different than we are? Why does Vegas keep happening? And it will happen again soon. Why do hurricanes happen? Why does all of this tragedy happen if the kingdom is here? All things broken, made new, and made right. That should be a question that we're struggling with and asking. One of the reasons why God moves slowly and methodically and carefully is because each work of God in your life and in the world around you sets up the next work of God in you and around you. There's a sequence to it. There's a process, and it's an important process. 
A has to happen before B. B has to happen before F. It's got to happen that way. He's engineered it that way. It's not spontaneous. Hear that. It's not spontaneous. That's what we want. But it's sequential oftentimes. Jesus uses this metaphor. He talks about a seed that first sprouts, and then after a long time, it creates this little husk or an ear. And then after a long time, the corn or the seed, the grain in the ear forms fully and matures. Think about, think about it this way. There's a lot of correlations between physical and spiritual, physical realm, spiritual realm. Think about a person about Eli's size. He's my three-year-old. He's about yay tall. Think about if Eli fundamentally misunderstood the pace and the nature of growth and maturation. He knew he was destined to be an adult. He knew he was supposed to be like mommy and daddy one day, and he wanted to get there now. He wanted 18 years of bodily growth to happen in a month. What would happen to him if you, if you forgot about the important sequence that God has arranged in his world and his kingdom? What if you could go from A to Z without having to go through the other 24 letters? What would happen to Eli? Well, it would be excruciating. Skin would rip. Tendons would separate. Muscles would tear. He'd be in excruciating pain. Bones would not be strong enough yet to bear the weight of that more fully formed body. His body couldn't take it. Growth like that can't happen because it would harm you. Because all of, these other pre- all of these other preliminary things have to happen and will happen in you for the kingdom to take root, for grace to take hold of your life. Which means if I was Eli's dad and he said, Daddy, why can't I be like you? I say, Eli, you're where you're supposed to be. Your body looks like your body's supposed to look like for a three-year-old. God's going to grow you up. He's going to make you strong. But he's going to do it in this methodical, careful, brilliant way. In his goodness, God has stretched the growth of your body over a lifetime. In his goodness, God has stretched the growth of your heart, your mind, your soul. His kingdom work in you, his spirit's work in you, he has stretched it over a lifetime. And you don't get to go from three years old to 50 years old like that. And you don't get to go from A to Z. It goes A, and then B, and then C, and then D, and then E, and then F. God is careful with the details, and it's a a one-day-at-a-time kind of thing. So it's not just the pace that Jesus is correcting here, but also the nature of how his kingdom grows. There's a mysterious element to how his kingdom grows. He he talks about this. This isn't the focus of the passage, because Jesus doesn't draw much attention to it. Just kind of an offhand comment, but he says, A man scatters a seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or whether he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. It's a helpful little parenthetical comment there. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how it's happening. All by itself. The soil produces grain, then the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. As if to say, this is hard for Americans to hear, Westerners to hear, micromanagers and controllers and predictability lovers and comfort lovers, this is really hard to hear. Jesus is saying the kingdom can't be manufactured, kingdom growth can't be micromanaged, it can't be rushed, and it can't be stopped. All of those are actually good news. To our Western or American ears, only the last one sounds like it's good news. 
that God's kingdom work, his kingdom agenda in you and around you can't be stopped. But it also can't be rushed. It also can't be micromanaged. It also can't be manufactured. The word here, I think maybe once every three years I'll talk to you about a Greek word, and it's usually when it's a, uh, an alliterated English word. The word all by itself in verse 28 is automate, automatic. Jesus isn't saying everything about the kingdom. No parable says everything. It says a piece, right? It's, it's highlighting one angle of the reality or the truth. Jesus isn't saying, hey, the Christian life is all on autopilot. It's automatic. There's nothing for us to enter into, participate into. And he's not saying there's no effort required in life as a Christian and growing. But here he's saying in a sense, hear me, friends. In a sense, he's saying, don't freak out. The kingdom grows by itself. You are not the cause. You are not the genesis. You are not the catalyst of the kingdom's growth in you and around you. We are servants of the kingdom. We are participants of the kingdom. We are recipients of the kingdom. We are laborers in the kingdom. But we're not God. We're not his spirit. And so there's a lot of waiting involved in this. But he says this to bring great comfort to us. All by itself, the soil produces grain. That's the part we love. I love like the soil produces grain because he's saying the payoff. The grain is what you farm for, right? No one farms to get corn plants this tall. You spend all that money and put in all that work to get an ear of corn you can sell at market. So Jesus says something that we really like at first in verse 29. Um, or sorry, in verse 28 he says, All by itself the soil produces grain. We're like, stop there, that's awesome. And then he says... First the seed, then the stalk, then the ear, then the head, then the harvest. But the growth that happens here, he says, is automatically, is, it automatically happens. Why does God do it that way? I think one of the reasons why I've noticed in my own life, I see it in Scripture, I see it coming true in me, and you've probably seen it coming true as well, that God will grow you in a way where you know that it's God who's growing you and not you. And that's very important. Because if you get a couple years down the road and you realize it's me that grew me, you will look down all of your other friends, right? You'll look down your nose at them because you are better, because you've advanced further, you've progressed more. If it's me that grew me, I grow proud, I grow independent, I grow autonomous, and I have no real sense of why I even need Jesus today, or His Spirit today, or His mercy today. And you become a very bitter, impatient, harsh person. But if you get a couple of months or weeks or years down the road and you look back and you said, God grew me, you become humble, you become empathetic, you become patient, you become hopeful, you become expectant. God is glorified. He is big and you're small. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, it's, I'm taking this out of context. The underlying principle applies here. He says... I planted, I, Paul, planted. He's talking about church planting, kind of. He's saying, I planted Apollos, this other guy. He watered it, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God will grow you in a way where you'll know that it's God growing you. 
that it's grace animating you and changing you. He insists upon that. We sing this song all the time here, I ask the Lord that I might grow, right? You've heard of it? And it's this weird twist. If you've never sung it before, you're like two verses in, you don't know what's coming next. You think, I asked the Lord that I might grow. He answered, I grew, I had more quiet times, it was awesome. But the song takes all these twists and turns and it says, and the way God answered his prayer, he's like, God was happy to answer your prayer, but the way he did it was to reveal to you all the hidden evils of your heart, to cast you low, to let you feel your weakness that you might feel his strength, to let you feel your hunger that you might feel his provision, that you might feel your soiledness so that you might feel his holiness and experience that. That is how God chooses to redeem his people. Because he is glorious. He is good. He is beautiful. And he wants you to see what he sees already. Because that's when joy comes. That's what he means when he says this stuff grows automatically. It's what he means when he says God is going to give the growth. That it's not by my power, but by God's power. Think about this. This is why I think the seed from the Old Testament all the way through Scripture, there's this metaphor of the kingdom being a seed. Israel was called a seed or a stump or this little sprout. Why the seed? The seed is the perfect metaphor for what I've just been talking about. Because you look at a seed, I bought a lot of them this summer, or this spring, and I tried to grow stuff, and nothing worked. But I look at this little seed, I look at this like one little tomato seed, or all these packets I had, and I'm like, and this tiny little seed could feed a neighborhood in a few months. One itty-bitty, dinky little seed, it looks so stupid and so pitiful and so tiny. And in that seed is power, and is energy, and is potential. That seed grows and it produces 20 tomatoes that each have 200 seeds in them. And it's exponential. Jesus is not accidental when he calls the kingdom a seed. He's saying it looks so pitiful. Especially if you didn't grow up in the church. The church, Christians seem weird to you and that's normal. Like, it just doesn't make sense. You're like, I don't get you guys. I don't get what this is all about. It seems inconsequential. It seems pitiful. It seems tiny. It seems it's just a seed. Jesus says his kingdom is exponential. Packed inside this little thing is kinetic energy that has overtaken the world and will change everything. Out of one little seed, packed full of power, God gets the credit. Real quick, a couple of points to help make sense of that a little bit more. Jesus talks about a seed that was planted, a seed that grows, a seed that's harvested. What does he mean that this seed was planted? What is he talking about? What does it mean that the kingdom was planted? Well, he's talking about this passage in John 12 and other places, but it comes out really clearly here. Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unless a a seed dies and falls to the earth, it remains alone, which means no power, it just remains just a little seed. But if it dies and falls to the earth, it bears much fruit. This is what Jesus said right before he said, my hour has come. And he goes to the cross and he dies for his people and he's raised up again to life indestructible afterwards. When Jesus talks about the seed of the kingdom has been planted, he's talking about he has been planted here. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, 
The seed died. It fell to the earth. And what has sprung out of that is resurrection life for any who knows their need of it. Resurrection life for all of his people. This exponential kinetic energy unleashed on the earth that is reconciling and renewing everything. When a seed dies and falls to the earth and is planted, then it bears fruit. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus who is God, lays down his life, buries himself in the turf of this world so that life might explode out of that tomb when he explodes out of that tomb. And that life that comes out of that is for the taking. It's for you. You want it? You can have it. Did you know that? Did you know it's really that easy? You want it? You can have it. You need it? You can have it. That's the kingdom that Jesus has planted. Which means our union, your union with Jesus, if you're a Christian, what has happened is God has made you a Siamese twin with Jesus. What's true of him is true of you now. Your union with his death, with his life, is the genesis, it's the beginning of all of this new life, this growth in you. Think about it like an acorn. In that tiny little acorn is an entire massive oak tree. It's just not fully formed yet. It's just not fully manifest yet. But all the DNA, all the material, all the genetic stuff is there in this itty-bitty little acorn already. So a hundred years from now, when that thing is towering over an entire building with millions of acorns falling off of it, giving shade to an entire neighborhood, that tree is that acorn. There's a sense in which this planted seed of the kingdom, we hear that and we're like, the kingdom's fully here in an acorn sense. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, all this stuff I'm talking about, his, the seed dying and falling to the earth, it's, it, it, bring, it brings in his kingdom in an acorn sense, and that acorn is growing, it's taking root, which means there's things about the kingdom that are true and real now. You can say no to sin. You can push back against temptation. You can change. But there's things about the kingdom that haven't come yet. They're not fully realized yet. They're not fully mature yet. So can you do any of those things perfectly, reliably, consistently, with, with, with great consistency? No. I mean, if you can, come tell me. I'd love to learn. There's things that are true now about the acorn and things that are not yet true about it, but they're still there. They're packed inside. And so there are things that are true about you as a Christian that are true about you now, even though they don't feel true about you now. You are free. You are clean. You are good. You are without shame. God is not ashamed of you. God doesn't think bad thoughts about you. You're accepted. You're welcome. You're family already, even though many of those things are still waiting to be fully manifested. The harvest Jesus talks about. He talks about the planting of the seed, which is the acorn. He talks about the harvest. The harvest is when this is all getting wrapped up. He's telling his people, don't you think just because I move slowly, I'm not coming. There is coming a harvest when Jesus returns and judges this earth and enacts justice and gathers his people. That's what he's talking about, the harvest. That when the seeds, when the seed of the kingdom has reached full maturity, he returns, he harvests it. And he ushers in a whole new age. Which means this, and this is where we end. If that's when the kingdom was planted, and that is when the kingdom will be harvested, what are we in? We're in growing season. We're in the middle. And if you've ever tried to grow something, you know growing season is less sexy than the beginning and the end. 
the harvest is awesome. Look at these tomatoes. Look at this okra. The planting is great. I ordered like... Because on those 110 degree days, those leaves wilted and they fell over, and I freaked out. I overwatered it sometimes, and then I underwatered it other times. I had to leave town, and they just, some of them died. They got, fun. it was just, it was hard. That's what Jesus is saying. This is dramatic. This is Hollywood, in a sense, in a real sense. This is explosive, the, the planting. This is explosive. This is dramatic, the harvest. This is hard. This has 110 degree days. This has dry soil. And Jesus says, what are you going to long for? The slow and steady rain of his patient work in your life. Very ordinary work in your life. Or are you going to set your eyes simply on the one time a year when it pours rain and messes everything up? He says the kingdom is like a man scattering seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, it grows. He doesn't know how. He's not micromanaging it. He's not freaking out. He's yielded to the power of the seed. He's yielded to the power of the growth that happens there. And it happens sequentially and through a process that you can't rush and you can't skip. And it will be harvested, he says. And it will bear fruit, he says. And he empowers all of this. Because he's the power behind it all. He's the king. He's the kingdom. You're connected to this king. You grow like that acorn grows. You grow like that acorn grows. You have life forever. You have power. You have a destiny. You have a future. And if you don't have the king, do you know the king came for you? You had to have picked that up so far this fall. You had to have at least gathered that the king has come for you. And he knocks on the door. He says, you want to come alive? You want to grow? You want to live with me who made you forever? You want to be the person I made you to always be? Let's go. That's called faith when you say, I want it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you're the king who laid down his life. You're the seed who died. That you might be planted in this broken, awful place. In our broken, awful place. And that you might, out of your death, sprouts new life indestructible life, patiently growing, slowly growing, methodically growing life. We thank you for that. We pray that tonight would not just be a night where we heard about this, but where you did this. Would you open eyes, soften hearts? Would you bring new birth and new life? We ask this in your name. Amen.